welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, which is part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in DC, and today I'm going to be talking with Karee Pennybaker. He has a very intense story. When he was just 20 months old, his mother committed suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot. He's a spokesperson for Moms Demand Action in Every Town for Gun Safety. He's also a strong advocate for suicide prevention. In 2016, he ran for the House of Representatives in Wisconsin and challenged the Republican incumbent. Unfortunately, the Republican incumbent won. But in 2017, Curry was elected as a representative to the Democratic National Committee. His journey through life has been difficult, but he's found a way to turn his painful experiences into positive action and positive living. His story and his attitude are amazing, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But first... Start Me Up is a patron-supported podcast, and I rely on listeners just like you to help keep the show going. I'm not backed by a corporation, and right now, I'm not using any advertisers, which means no commercial interruptions. You can support the show for a dollar a month, and when you do, each new podcast is delivered right to your email box. If you go with the $5 a month, you get access to at least two and another thing segments where a guest host and I continue the conversation. Just visit patreon.com slash startmeup and consider supporting the show for any dollar amount, whether it's a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, or eighty dollars. And don't forget, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, or really where any podcasts are found. And I'm just going to ask if you haven't already, please stop by the iTunes store, and I'm going to include a link in the text of the Patreon description. Leave us a good review if you haven't already. Um, we will be doing a couple of and another thing segments later this month. I know Stephanie's going to be here on the twenty third. We'll definitely gonna, we're definitely going to be doing one. Um, let's see what else. Also, thank you to everybody who already supports the show. You make the show possible. My undying gratitude goes right to you. All right, let's get this show started. Please enjoy my conversation with Karee Pennybaker. Welcome, Karee. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being on. Um, you know, I have known you on social media for for some time, mm-hmm. and um, I I'll be honest that I I feel kind of bad because I haven't asked you on the show earlier. Part of that is just because your story, I guess, intimidates me. It's very intense, and and I I've never been very good at at. I don't even know how to even say it. I mean, obviously, I feel awkward when people have such dramatic losses in their life and you've experienced mm-hmm. such traumatic uh, loss. And I I mean, I feel for you so much. I, when, I mean, you were doing that tweet storm um, a while back about, you know, 24 hours before your mom had died. Right. Ex- year, I mean, it's like, and I would cry every right. time I read it. And, and so, but your story is beautiful and you're, you're an amazing person and you've overcome so much. So I, I really just want to say thank you so much for being here. And I, and I appreciate that. And I know, um, the, the difficulty of, of my story, uh, doesn't always align with, you know, how someone's show typically runs. It's not upbeat. Although I try to do it um, <clears throat> as as upbeat as I can, yeah. Um, but I think the the only way we can address issues like gun suicides and gun violence in general is by shedding a brighter light on it. Yeah. Um, so as, as painful as it is for me, and, and honestly, I wish this wasn't my story. Yeah. You know, and, and not not even then. I mean, my story is not even unique. I just happen to have a platform, and folks like you uh, want to talk to me. And, uh, I get to uh, to talk about things that other people may not know how to 
how to address. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you're dealing with uh, gun suicides like mine or suicide in general, there's there's usually a stigma not only attached to the person that either attempted or completed, but to the family that survives it. Yeah. So not everyone knows how to talk about the issue. So I figure the best thing I can do is is to give people an idea of how they can also talk about it and own their own their circumstance so the circumstance doesn't own them. Wow. Well, why don't you just start from the beginning and tell us your story? Sure. Uh, so on uh, September 8th, 1979, my mom, Joyce, uh, wrote a note. Uh, she got in her car um, and, you know, drove on the freeway. She, she pulled over and sat there with nothing but depression lying to her, mm -hmm. making her believe that my world would be better off without her. Mm. Uh, and, and often when I tell this story, I would say that, you know, when my mom uh, shot and killed herself, that she shot and killed the both of us yeah. in that I've had to grow up for now 40 years without her. That, and I'm going to be 42 in, in 13 days. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what life is without this burden. Yeah. I don't know what the air smells like without having being a, a gun violence survivor I know this pain more than I know my mother's love, which is which is brutal. Yeah. Um, so what could I have been had this hurdle not been placed in front of me? Uh, but at the same time, uh, as I said a second ago, I had the, the choice to allow this to control me, which it had for years, mm -hmm. or I can begin to control it and then do something good with it. Um, so it, it took me a very, very long time to uh, come to grips with uh, the pain itself and, and and facing what that demon truly is. Um, and it, it was uh, something where I thought, who would listen to this, right? Because everyone talks about mass shootings and, and uh, city and urban violence, uh, child shootings, um, but no one was really talking about gun suicides. Like, did I have a place in that space? And I had to get to a point where I had to say, well, whether or not uh, that space is carved out, I'm going to carve it out myself. Yeah. Uh, and there are people who have been doing this for a lot longer than I have, but not with my story. Um, and I, I began, you know, giving speeches in people's, you know, living room and telling them my story. And then into bigger settings, like the I, I gave us a, uh, a speech at the March for Lives uh, <laughs> uh, rally last year in, in Milwaukee. There was 12,000 people. Uh. Um I've been able to do things like with Spike Lee, uh, mm -hmm. where he did a, a public service announcement with, with a series of commercials on Christmas uh, in 2015. So I've done these things, but I'm always constantly reminded that there is not a single moment of fame in it. And right. I would give it back in a heartbeat just to hear my mom tell me that she loves me. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't know what her voice sounds like. I don't know what her touch is like. I don't. I had to learn her favorite color by her best friend when I was 38 years old. I didn't learn my mother's birthday until I was 39, wow. because I bought her death certificate online because I was too afraid to talk to my dad about it. Hmm. Um, but having gone through all this stuff, I mean, when I sit with a fellow gun violence survivor, I can explain what this pain means mm -hmm. and what they can do with it so that it, it's not something that is so debilitating to the point where it's a constant, I can't get up, I can't get out of the bed mentality. It's, you know, there are going to be days like that, regardless of what you do. Yeah. Um, but if you can find ways to talk about what's going on um, and, and use your voice as a way of therapy, which is what I do, mm -hmm. um, it does take some of this thing away. 
Wow. So I saw there's a video on YouTube where <clears throat> you basically describe um, your your journey and your experience. And so I guess for 37 years, you blamed yourself. I did. Yeah. Um, and so what ended, what ended up happening is I met uh, Erica Laffey, who was the Don, uh, daughter of Don Laffey Hawksprung. Don was the, the principal at Sandy Hook Elementary and was unfortunately shot and killed in that mass shooting in 2012. And one of the things that Erica, you know, kind of impressed upon me was that you have to get to a place where you, you accept and believe that this was not your fault. Mm -hmm. I thought like, and and I've said this over and over that what was wrong with me? What did I do wrong at at 20 months old to cause my mom to want to give up, not just on herself, but on me. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so for her birthday, um, I want to say it was maybe her 50, 50th or maybe 60th birthday or 63rd birthday, something like that mm-hmm. would have been her 63rd birthday. I decided that as a, as a gift to her, <clears throat> the best thing I could do was, was to forgive her. And, and in doing so, I kind of, you know, get to shake off that, that self-imposed burden mm-hmm. of it being my fault. I didn't pull the trigger. I did not ask to be born. I didn't ask to be born to a mother who would eventually go on to shoot and kill herself. Um, and I, I don't believe that she was trying to do anything to harm me mm-hmm. uh, or put me in a position where um, I would grow up with a life of nothing but torment. Um, but at the same time, there's no one there to explain that to me. Yeah. I had to just simply accept it for myself and get to a mental place where I was okay with that. And and that's what I've done. It's, it is emotionally far more healthy for me to do that than be angry. And she suffered mental illness, right? Yeah. So it, back in the seventies, they, they obviously did not have the, the kind of mental uh, health care that we have now. And even now it's woefully inadequate, Yeah. Um, but they did not have the kind of care that we have now. And there was far more stigma back then than there is now, even though there's still a, an unacceptable amount of stigma that's uh, attached to mental health alone. Uh, my grandfather had given my mom the gun for self-defense, uh, despite the fact that she had attempted suicide twice wow. before with pills. Um, but again, the kind of awareness yeah. in the seventies didn't exist the way it does now, even though even now uh, we still don't take the right kind of precautions to prevent suicide and, and, and tragedies with, with, with gun violence. Um, but there was so much more that could have been done. But obviously, I'm looking at the issue through a current prism mm-hmm. versus what uh, the, the current circumstance was in, in 1979. Um, but there, there's no reason my mom should have had a gun. Um, right. She she was mentally unwell <clears throat> and had easier access to a gun than to mental health care. So it was it depression depression that she suffered from? Yeah, and it was it was a series of of, of life events that had impacted my mom's uh, uh, mental uh, uh, stability, I guess. So she was adopted and never squared with that issue, and, and was just mad at the world. Um, and, and the stories that I've been told, uh, like she, her adoptive mom, my grandmother, she wouldn't let her come to the uh, the birthing classes. Uh, and was just just mad at the world. And uh, one of her friends uh, would tell me that that she thinks that um, one of the reasons my mom completed suicide was to give the world a big fuck you. Wow. Like I, I'm, I just like I'm, I'm not taking this from you anymore. Mm-hmm. I know that my grandparents did not like 
the relationship between my mom and my dad, given that my, my grandparents were, uh, were of means uh, and had owned um, the largest, uh, the oldest black owned funeral home in Ohio, and, it, and it's still in existence. Uh, and my dad came from a very poor area uh, of Cincinnati. And they didn't like that. The, the appearance and the optics mm-hmm. they didn't like. Um, and that's that's the story that is unfortunately too typical of people with means. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's just another thing that added to my mom's mental deterioration to the point where she just is mad at the world mm-hmm. um, and is, you know, kind of lashed out. But I pay the consequence of it. Right. Wow. Um, and, and now you're an advocate for suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So what does that so, mean? What do you do? Right. So I, I don't do a ton directly with suicide prevention organizations because they tend to not talk about the means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do more with gun violence prevention, mm-hmm. but includes suicide prevention within it. Gotcha. Um, so and I, I and I don't intend to step on anyone's toes. That the work that the suicide prevention organizations do is, is, is incredibly important. Uh, so the, the, the national suicide prevention lifeline is one that I've called more than 10 times. Hmm. It is incredibly vital and important. If someone is in the, in the, in the depths of depression or in crisis, they should call. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing uh, wrong with calling. You're not weak by doing so. I just advocate differently. That doesn't mean one other person's way of advocating right. is better or worse than the other. It's just you know kind of what I what I do, but what I what I focus on is is making sure that when we're talking about gun violence prevention, that we're not just talking about the number part of it, where we would say forty thousand people are uh, shot and killed every year. Well, two thirds of those are gun suicides, like my mom. Mm-hmm. But those two thirds are the ones that we typically ignore, uh, and there's some reasons why people are hesitant. Uh, and talking about it, one, because there is a stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. Two, it's complex. But three, it, if you listen to what the current occupant of the White House uh, said after the El Paso shooting mm-hmm. or after the Dayton shooting, they, you know, people like to blame yeah. uh, mental illness for these tragedies mm-hmm. when in reality, uh, people who are uh, dealing with mental illness are more likely to be the victim than the perpetrator of a crime. Um, so these things, it, it makes the issue complex. Um, but it takes people who are willing to simply say, uh, I've got a story that's worthy of sharing. I've got a voice that's worthy of hearing. And I think it's going to be stories like mine or Jennifer Luger, who's in um, uh, Pennsylvania. Her, her husband, uh, Scott, shot and uh, killed himself. Mm-hmm. Um, stories like ours kind of, you know, tear down those those uh, those misnomers and, and allow people to see that this is not about uh crazy people right right these are people who are you know dealing with something that is you know in in many ways incredibly debilitating Mm -hmm. and they don't see a way out and they unfortunately have too easy access to a gun yeah um my mom's best friend committed suicide um and it was it was so shocking i was i mean i was in my early 20s when it happened and it was so weird because he had he had come over for christmas dinner and he had lived in San Diego and we lived in Los Angeles. So he came up from San Diego and he was very upbeat, you know, and I, and I've heard that people who are planning, which actually he, he told my mother that he was planning on committing, like he had bought a gun. I think mm-hmm. he just said, I got a gun and, and my mother knew right then and there what that meant. And right. she was concerned and really wasn't sure exactly what to do. And, and, 
um, you know, he had come up to our house for Christmas. And then, like I said, he was like in great spirits. And then Mm -hmm. it wasn't long after that where my mother, I remember we were driving and she said to me, um, you know, Brian told me that he got a gun. And and right Mm -hmm. as she said that, I knew. And I think it, I don't remember exactly the timing, but it might have been like a day within 24 hours, he had already committed suicide. And, um, you know, I mean, all I know is that he didn't, I know he had depression and I know that he had like obsessive behaviors where he would like want to seal his apartment. I think Mm -hmm. partly his apartment had a bug issue, but beyond that it was obsessive and Mm -hmm. he didn't, he didn't go to therapy. Um, he didn't take any kind of medication for depression and so, I mean, I, I can't say that I fully understand what you've gone through because I certainly can't. But, uh, you know, suicide has pretty much touched everyone's life in one way or another, whether it's direct or it's through someone else. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Um, you said that you called the suicide prevention hotline. Yes. When You know, just for, for anybody who's listening who might be experiencing depression, um, w- without giving away too much, I mean, what is it like mm. when you call one of those numbers? Uh, it, it, it has been a number of years since I've called last, but, um, so they are very compassionate. They are very well trained mm-hmm. on, on how to, to simply listen, uh, and, and try to pick up on some cues to remind you, um, that your life is worth living. Um, and it, it, it's not a form of mental health care itself. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's crisis aversion. Right. Um, so if you, if you have someone who is in the, like the acuteness part of, of crisis, right. And especially if they have a lethal means of which to, to inflict uh, um, self-harm, you want to put some kind of barrier in between that, even if that means having a conversation mm-hmm. um, and simply stopping the process of, of someone, you know, trying to begin uh, the act of, of, of self-harm. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I had uh, the last time I called it, it involved breaking up with a, uh, a girl at the time, and, you know, there, there's a video that I made in September um, of 2015 on World Suicide Prevention Day where I talk about how um, essentially if my mom can leave me, anybody can leave mm-hmm. me. So I have, a, you know, an, an, an issue with intimacy and, and, and connecting and things like that because I'm always afraid, mm-hmm. you know, someone else is going to leave me. Because, again, if the person that gave me life can quit me anybody can. Mm-hmm. And so when, when it happened, it was like, this is being abandoned all over again. And I called and I just, it was more of that person listening to me. So right. if you can get that, uh, the time to just emote and vent and just let it out. I mean, it, that doesn't mean it's a cure all and mm-hmm. everyone's going to be saved, but they can help save your life. Uh, and I'm not at all embarrassed by it. Uh, I, I, you know, anytime when I reference uh, the suicide uh, prevention lifeline, I'm always upfront and saying that I have used it. Mm-hmm. So I want people to know that just because you've done that, just because you've attempted or even thought about suicide, does not mean it's the end of your sentence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you are less than. It means you are incredibly brave and you realize that your life is worth saving. It is valuable. You just have a a moment that you need help getting through. And that's yeah. really all that is for the most part. That doesn't mean, uh, like in my mom's case, she had a, a lifetime of pain, but just didn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So do I, right? But when those dark moments come, if you aren't able to develop coping mechanisms, I mean, you, you really uh, in some serious trouble. So if there's something that we can do, just dealing with the acute part, 
we can we can help save people's lives if not only just for that day right and then you know one of the ways that i tell my mom's story is by saying i wish i could go back to 1979 and break that car window and beg her to simply wait and fight for tomorrow yeah fight to see what i'm going to turn out to be but you know i don't believe for one minute that if i could stop her that moment that tomorrow she's not thinking about it again. Yeah. It, this is an ongoing, consistent battle um, that I, I want people to understand and believe that you are worthy of fighting for. Mm-hmm. But that also includes you have to fight for yourself. And sometimes people don't love themselves enough or even see value in themselves enough. And I think that's the the downside to the way our society is kind of devolving uh, with how poorly we treat each other. Yeah. I mean, you don't know when you are if you're at a coffee shop or McDonald's or wherever you are, the person behind you might be having a bad day. Just think about even if you just smiled at them, yeah. right? Or the person that at the the the, the cashier person uh, who might be struggling, even if it's just to to make ends meet, and that person is is really struggling to to, to do that. She's got kids, or he's got kids, and doesn't see you know a bottom to this fall essentially Mm -hmm. just think about how much better we can make that person's life simply by being kind to them right we always hear people talk about i want to change the world Mm -hmm. you can change someone's world just by being kind to them just in that moment because maybe they don't know what that's like maybe they don't they haven't experienced you know kindness and decency yeah and you can break through to them and, and let them see that there are some decent human beings on this planet still despite all the ugliness that you see you know, um, I'm not usually a crier and you're making me cry. I mean, I do. Cry, I cry <laughs> privately all the time, but I don't usually yeah. cry on the podcast. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I certainly have not ever. Uh, I hate I hate crying. <laughs> um, it's okay. I've never wanted to commit suicide. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a normal human being. And mm-hmm. so that means that I've 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 fantasized about it in a way that um how can I say? Not that I ever would go through with it. I I, I know mm-hmm. that I would never go through with it. But but mm-hmm. it's like when you get so down and you just right. like I wish I was dead. Um, I actually tried to switch that around. You know, I, it, when I was younger, I thought maybe I should just say I wish I was never born because I don't want to say I wish I was dead. But you know, you go through these mm-hmm. things and you talk about value. And right. um, even though this is not something. Um, at all, like severe depression or anything that, you know, you or your mother have gone through, um, I've battled body hatred my whole life. And so, you know, my value has always been wrapped up with my physical appearance. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I kind of got weepy was because, especially during this administration, um, Mm -hmm. I have made such an effort to be friendly to, to strangers. As you say, it's like sometimes you just walk up to somebody and it's the cashier or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I've always been the person that when I go to a grocery, you know, I mean, I go to the grocery store all the time. I know all the people who work there and there's actually two women, one in particular who I've made friends with. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a tall white blonde woman and (laughs) I live in an area that's incredibly diverse. There's a lot of African American folks, especially at the grocery store that I go to. And I always, feel like do they look at me and think I'm a Trump supporter do they think that I'm um you know a a racist or a white supremacist and I and I always like I feel like I want them to know that I'm on their side and so you know there's this like one woman in particular that I talk to a lot and she's African-American she's such a sweetheart and I 
you know, I kind of have a big mouth and I, you know, I always kind of ask people, are you registered to vote? I just ask strangers this everywhere I go. And so anyway, we started talking and I told her I have a podcast and this and that. And um, so I was in the store the other day and I was being rung up by another cashier and she happened to walk by and she saw me and she hugged me. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was so funny. I've never been hugged by somebody who works at a grocery store before. But it was mm-hmm. like, you know, your your point is so true that, and this is a very long way of saying that, um, I mean, even with me, who I don't suffer depression, but just the, a nice gesture or a smile, it makes all the difference. It can really change your whole attitude. I mean, it's not going to save right. your life. And as you said, it's not a cure-all, but um, it, it is so important. You know, I mean, and I also, and I'll just be real quick, but... Uh, several months ago, I had gone into Best Buy, and I think I'm going to say this: is it is it a Sikh? I think a Sikh. A Sikh. Um, there was a gentleman who was helping me, and uh, you know, I was buying something for for my computer for my podcast, and he asked me, uh, "What kind of podcast do you do?" And so I told him, and then I made sure to let him know that I'm a liberal. And I mean, I could just see like the relief just coming over him and and it was so sad for me because he was even though I had basically let him know I am on your side and I you know I'm with you and I support you um he still had to explain to me that you know where he comes from he that they're wonderful people and that they look at America as like the shining beacon and all of this stuff and it was like wow you know he you know even though he recognized that I was on his side he still needed to let me know that he's a good guy and, you know, and, and so, so many times uh, we have the opportunity to be friendly to each other. And so what you said is, is, is so true and it's so important. Mm-hmm. Even just a small little smile or hello can make all the difference. And it doesn't cost you anything either. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's truly one of those things that's it's a win-win deal uh, where you both get something out of it where I mean, you do feel better when you smile. Yeah. The person that is receiving it feels better because you're acknowledging their existence. Uh, but to your point, though, about how like some people and uh, how the marginalized communities might be feeling in this this Trump administration um, after uh, Trump was elected, calls to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline uh, increased by, I think, like 30 oh percent by, by those in the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, the, 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 to think that, you know, an administration uh, can cause such harm yeah. and mental anguish to people should not be the case. Now, I don't care what person, what a person's uh, uh, political persuasion may be, because the bullet doesn't care. Right. The bullet didn't ask my mom before exploding her head, "Are you Republican or Democrat?" The before the bullets tore the bodies apart of twenty innocent first graders, it didn't say, "Are you guys going to grow up to be yeah. Republicans or Democrats?" So I don't tend to think that way. But at the same time, the kind of uh, mean spirit of behavior that is exemplified by the person that occupies our White House. I think it's really tearing at the like the threads of human decency mm-hmm. about how we should be treating each other. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be like that. I mean, there are some things that uh, this administration could be doing that that is helpful. The very first thing they did was to um, to eliminate a, a policy that Obama had put in place that uh, prevented people who were on uh, Social Security disability, who were incapable of handling their own finances, uh, those people were prohibited from buying a gun. That's the very first thing uh, the current occupant of the White House did. Mm-hmm. I think that is is a recipe for disaster. I have no issue 
with uh, people uh, in general terms owning a gun. Mm -hmm. I used to own a gun. I no longer do. I should not uh, be allowed to have a gun. Um, but there are people who feel the need to do so, and mm -hmm. I'm uh, completely okay with that so long as you can pass a background check and you're not yeah. a, a threat or danger to yourself or others. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't have policies that will address uh, this, this deadly epidemic, especially as it relates to gun suicides. And because we don't talk about it, we have fewer policies that actually address that segment mm -hmm. of gun violence. Um, there was a, a shooting here in, in uh, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, at the Sick Temple, where the, the shooter thought this is um, back in 2012, uh, where the shooter thought the, the, the uh, people in the Sick Temple were Muslim. And he wow. had been, he was a white supremacist and thought, these Muslims have to die. So he went and shot and killed six of them, right? Um, it, it is heartbreaking how those kinds of, of mindsets can lead to tragedy and death. So when we, when we put that in context to how we treat each other, I think that is one of the best ways we can eliminate those kinds of, of narratives to the point where I'm I'm more willing and more anxious to be kind and decent than I am to be hateful and, and mean spirited and and just ornery. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make the world a better place to do that, especially if you have the ability to do so. You should. Um, obviously, in talking about the issue itself with racism and white supremacy and all of those things, we need to talk about those things, but we also need to treat each other better. Yeah, we we desperately need that because every 25 minutes. Someone is going to shoot and kill themselves just like my mom did. Yeah. What if your smile, what if, what if a hug or a handshake or opening the door or buying that person coffee could have just stopped that moment mm -hmm. just, just for that moment and then give them a reason or just like put this, this thought in their mind that I am worth fighting for, at least for today. Yeah. I remember when um, uh, about uh, 18 years ago, I was angry very, very angry at my, at my family, uh, about my circumstance, about like how, how, what is wrong with me to have deserved to be in a position where my mom shot and killed herself when I'm like, it felt like I was drowning. Yeah. So I was almost a mirror image of her. Like I was at that fuck the world moment mm -hmm. and I had a, a black loaded nine millimeter i was sitting on my my futon and i had that gun on my mouth for a half hour oh my god begging myself to pull the trigger because i was so done i just was so fed up and sick of everything and i just just didn't want the pain anymore and mm -hmm. I, I could not come up with a way to get out of it but i i believe that it was my mom who put this idea in my mind that i have to think about my daughter who was only about two or three years old at the time and at that moment, I realized that no matter how bad my situation is, I cannot do to her what my mom did to me. Yeah. So I was able to call uh, my best friend, and I have not touched a gun since then. Wow. But I can tell you that I remember what gun oil tastes like as if it was just this morning. <laughs> and it, it is it's that kind of that, that, that connection to that near-death experience that reminds me that I've got to keep fighting through these dark moments every time they hit me yeah. uh, because my kids deserve better than what I got. And I think I have a part to play in, in tearing down all of these stigmas that are associated with mental health and suicide so that fewer and fewer people are, are thinking about that as a viable option. 
And thank God you do. I mean, thank God for people like you. Because, I mean, I, again, back to my mom, she had said something about how, um, you know, suicide is the kind, I mean, she's experienced death. Her father died when she was 16. A best friend died um, when she was ill, when she was also in high school. But the the suicide death, she said, is the hardest one to get over. The, the, the pain is a different kind of a pain. I mean, I can't, I knew her best friend, but I was young and I didn't spend mm-hmm. a lot of time with him. So even though it was very sad for me and he was like a family member, I wasn't very close to him like she was. And mm-hmm. so I don't know that pain and I can't even imagine. I mean, I can, but I can't. And so right. people like you are doing such an amazing job. And I'm so grateful that, that you're there because as I said in the intro, you've taken such, you know, traumatic circumstances and you've turned them into a positive way of living and mm-hmm. um you know you you know i know that you are a spokesperson for moms demand action in every town for gun safety so what are can, can can you tell me um either like where where is this going what do you think is the best kind of legislation i know background checks is mm-hmm. a big deal um, right. so like explain then what is like, how does a background check help? What if you're, what if you're a person who suffers mental illness, but doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have a record of it? Like how, how can we get, I know I'm asking you a bunch of questions here, but I guess my main <laughs> question is like, how do we keep guns out of the, uh, out of those people's hands? And then exactly how do background checks help? Sure. So we know that the most comprehensive way of reducing all segments of gun violence is with a background uh, a background check system that applies to all gun sales, which includes in-person or private sales. So right now here in Wisconsin, uh, the law only requires a background check when the the sale originates with a licensed dealer like Walmart or someplace like that, or just whatever gun dealer is, is in town. Mm-hmm. Um, but a person can sell a gun to another person without a background check. Mm. And that's legal here. That's right. legal in far too many States. It should not be legal at all to me. Um, but that's when we, unfortunately, when we talk about gun violence prevention, uh, because we do talk uh, a lot about background checks, uh, you'll hear the opposition say, well, that won't solve this thing. And that won't solve this mm-hmm. thing. But you know, when you look at auto fatalities, right? We don't just say, "Well, um, speed limits are going to be the cure-all to all auto fatalities." Mm-hmm. No, there's a whole list of things that are done to make the car safer. Yeah. Uh, whether that's seat belts, um, the roads are designed better, the the street lights are designed better. You have windshield wipers, right? The blinkers are designed better. The car safety features with airbags and all kinds of stuff. We are trying to make that driving experience mm-hmm. that much safer, so we can reduce uh, auto fatalities. So much so that in a number of states, auto fatalities are lower than the gun deaths are. Wow. Because we've made those adjustments. But it wasn't just one thing. Mm -hmm. Background checks in and of itself is not going to eliminate gun violence. Mm -hmm. It will it will significantly reduce it, sure. But we also need things like red flag laws so that when a person like my mom, for example, who a month before she shot and killed herself, told her best friend, I want to die Mm -hmm. right now. I'm not saying that this law would have automatically saved my mom's life, but it could have because it would have raised enough awareness to the point where her family knew there's a mechanism. Just even knowing the mechanisms exists Mm -hmm. lets them know that we should not let her have easy access to a gun. 
And so when you apply that to the current state of things, if someone is in, in a crisis, uh, you can uh, remove temporarily their access to a gun so that they can get the mental health care help that they need. Mm -hmm. Or if someone is, is making threats uh, to harm others, you can make sure that person does not have easy access to a gun. Um, so when you combine things like background checks and all gun sales um, and, and red flag laws, uh, you can dramatically reduce uh, the amount of gun deaths we have in this country. And, and that's, it wouldn't take years to do that because you are having fewer and fewer people have easy access to a gun. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that is, it's not a partisan issue. It's unfortunate uh, that it's been framed as such, yeah. like it's a Democrat bill. It's not. Uh, there was a state senator here in Wisconsin who shot and killed himself in 2015. His name was Rick Gudex. He was a Republican. The bullet didn't stop then either, yeah. just like it didn't stop when, when it exploded my mom's head. This is something that is a life and death issue, and we should treat it as, as a, a health care issue. Mm -hmm. It's a crisis, and we should treat it as such. I mean, you have people now um, – uh, you know, going all wild about vaping deaths, which we should talk about. Yeah. That's th those deaths are worthy of fighting for. But how are we, are we framing that issue as a Democrat or Republican right. one? No. No, of course not. When we deal with cancer or diabetes or mm -hmm. some other ailment that our country faces, we aren't treating that as a Republican or Democrat issue or a controversial one. Mm -hmm. When we have the Ebola scare, while I think there were some folks who went too crazy with that, <laughs> um, there were some measures taken mm -hmm. that were appropriate. Some were way out there. But when we treat things as, as the healthcare crisis that they are, the opioid addiction, for example, right? Is that a Democrat or Republican issue? Right. It's That's neither. A, it's a great way it, to it's, put it's, it. It's yeah. a life-saving issue, that mm -hmm. one that we need to desperately address, no different than the fact that we desperately need to address uh, uh, drug addiction in communities of color, which we have woefully neglected for decades. Yes. Um, I mean, those folks are more likely to be locked up than, than get help. Um, but we, we have framed or at least allowed the issue of gun violence prevention to be framed in a, mm -hmm. in a way that polarizes it so that nothing happens, at least at the federal level. I'm thankful that there have been a number of states uh, since the Sandy Hook mass shooting that, that took it upon themselves and said, I'm not going to wait for the federal mm -hmm. government to do anything. We're going to take action now and, and pass these laws now to help reduce the, the toll that, that gun violence uh, inflicts on our communities. Because at the end of the day, we want to keep people safe. We want to spare people this, this unimaginable and never-ending nightmare. And it doesn't mean you need to be a Republican or Democrat to do that. Yeah. There, there are Republicans who agree with what we're doing. We know, by and large, that Republicans, gun owners, and Democrats alike all agree uh, by about 90% that we should have background checks on all gun sales. The majority of people, including all of those other segments, agree we should have red flag laws. The majority of people believe we should not be selling assault-style weapons. Mm -hmm. These things are not controversial. Yeah. It's just that the people who are – who hold the, the levels of power in our government, um, choose to uh, to align themselves with the gun death lobby and value money yeah. more than they value human life. Yeah, I'm sure you're really popular. And these really are the same people who tell you they're pro-life, by the way. Oh, exactly. And I'm sure you're really popular with the NRA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I was talking to a friend last night, and um, she was just 
messaging me about her fear for what's happening in the country. And she thinks that because, you know, Trump is not going to um, work with the impeachment inquiry and, and, you know, he's defying the Constitution and all of that, that she thinks it's going to come down to a civil war. And um, she's saying, I think it's going to be the children um, who or the kids who are going to create a new country. Um, I certainly hope that it doesn't come to that. I, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. I know it feels really frightening right now. I mean, I've been, I'm usually pretty, not Pollyanna, but I try to see the positive in all of this crap. Of course, I voted for Hillary Clinton and I, I'm devastated that she didn't win, even though she kind of did win. She didn't win the electoral, um, but, you know, so we've got this issue right now. And, you know, I mean, I was talking to Feminist Next Door last week and we were kind of going over ways that even though women have not benefited and a lot of women's rights have been rolled back or mm-hmm. um, just completely obliterated, there has been some positive advances. Uh, I try to look at that, you know, it's not that I think burning it all down helps, but when you start burning it down, you can kind of get rid of some of the old terrible stuff and replace it with new. I do see a lot of hope with these children, especially um, the the kids who are David, like David Hogg, who are mm-hmm. talking about this. And, and unfortunately, it was an unfortunate reason that he's talking about it, but right, right. I'm glad that he found, just like you, <clears throat> found that positive message and found a reason to, to take what was happening and turn it into something good. Um, right. But I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know where this is all going to go. I have no idea. You know, I mean, obviously we've got Greta Thunberg and I hope I say her name mm-hmm. right, you know, who's who's working so hard. And and then she's just met with all these, you know, angry conservative people who Great. are belittling her. And of course, they're belittling, you know, people like David Hogg. And mm-hmm. it's, it just blows my mind. But I'm just do, like, do you have any kind of inner feeling of where this is all going? Can you see any positive um, outcomes on the horizon and, oh, and, and then that will lead to the 2020 election. So what do you see positive right. happening? So let me, let me start where, where you started though, about the civil war. I do not believe we're going to have a civil war, uh, over the impeachment, um, <laughs> whether the impeachment, well, I don't believe he's going to be convicted in the Senate. Right. We don't have yeah, the votes me, me unless, um, those uh, Senate Republicans decide they'd rather put country first. Right. Um, so whether or not he's convicted or not, um, I don't believe we will have a civil war. For one, mm-hmm. he is not at all as valuable as it was to eliminate America's original sin of slavery. Right. So let's mm-hmm. not put him on that level where we need to have a civil war to defeat human bondage. Like <laughs> right, he is yeah. that important because right. he is not. Good right? point. Um, but at the same time, do I believe that there are going to be some some of his fanatical uh, supporters who will do something stupid? Sure, mm-hmm. right? And that's an unfortunate byproduct uh, of his uh, low standard of moral, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you had that the guy last year uh, sending pipe bombs, mm-hmm. right? Um, there was a a guy I think either today or yesterday uh, who pulled a gun out on somebody after an argument about Trump. So there there will be acts of aggression, yeah. uh, but that's minor. Uh, there are fewer of them than there are of us, and there is there's no way he's going to be able to initiate a civil war. He might call for one. I, I wouldn't put that past him. Yeah. Um, I mean, even to intimate that there might be one means mm-hmm. he's willing to use whatever means he can to re- retain power, but it also means he doesn't actually care about the country. Yeah. He's more concerned with with retaining power. 
And it's really unfortunate, though, because he had control of the government for two years yeah. and chose to do nothing with it. Yeah. He, I mean, just antagonizing and always uh, insulting someone rather than actually doing the people's work. Um, so let, let's, that's, that's one thing. But I do also believe that you are seeing a, a change in uh, how people are running for office in the people that are actually running for office. So when I ran in 16, this, this movement to talk about issues at this level wasn't there there was no blue wave in 2016 mm-hmm, right. right we unfortunately had the the difficulty of a very uh contentious primary on our side mm-hmm. so that i think that impacted uh how uh our side performed in, in the general again hillary clinton won the 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 uh the popular vote which means more americans wanted her for president mm-hmm. than than the guy who stole it um, but that said, though, if you look at 18 and how many more people won, how yeah. many people of color and women yeah. won, how many of those people ran uh, on a platform that included gun violence prevention policy in it? Lucy McBath won a seat that had been held by Newt Gingrich in 1984, right, hmm. uh, in, a, in a seat where Karen Handel, who was about as anti-choice as you can get, uh, was defeated in a, in a race where no one thought Lucy could win, but I did. <laughs> and Lucy, Lucy firmly believed that if I talk about these issues and I'm honest and I speak from the heart, uh, that I can win this seat that seems to be unwinnable. Yeah. And more and more people are doing that. And more and more people are talking about these issues, not because they're checkbox issues, but because they matter. And if we if we continue to do things like that, where even now, I believe nearly every major presidential candidate is talking about gun violence prevention in one way or the other. Some clearly are better than others on it, but at least they're talking about it. It's talked about at the presidential debates where in in, in 2012 it was not. Mm-hmm. In 2008 it was not really. Yeah. So now it's at the forefront of people's issues, uh, for uh, the forefront of people's conversations. Yeah. And at the presidential level, and they spent uh, at the last debate uh, that was in uh, in Houston, they spent what thirty minutes talking about healthcare. Yeah, these issues count, and and I'm glad that our side is the responsible one mm-hmm. that is talking about issues that that keep people up at night. Uh, and I that's what I believe is is going to be our saving grace. So long as we're not willing uh, to play Trump's game mm-hmm. to the point where who can throw the most mud is going to win. To me, it's going to be who's going to talk about the issues and who's going to care about trying to make our life better? Who's going to care about trying to make our world better and make sure that the generations that are coming behind us have a better shot at the future than we've had? And I think not only is our side doing it, but I I personally believe that Cory Booker is the best one doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am also inspired by what David Hogue has has been able to do do with Emma um, and Greta and, and these young folks who are doing things that I wasn't doing when I was their age. Shame on me. Right. Yeah, but in well. my case, I simply didn't know how yeah. I didn't know. We didn't have social media back right. then. We just got the Internet. Yeah. And, and that was dominated by either porn or AOL. <laughs> <laughs> right? um, so I didn't I didn't know then what to do. Um, but, it, you know, why wait? You know, one of the things yeah. that you hear from David Hogue is that don't wait till this creeps up on your doorstep yeah. to do something. Right. Get active now. Be proactive, not reactive. Um, and I think when you have people like them who are using their amazing platform to to not only share it but to shine lights on these these issues that are important, that's how this is going to change and get better. And so, what? Why do you feel Cory Booker has the best uh, take on on this issue? 
So uh, that part's actually rather easy. Uh, <laughs> so I've known Corey since 2016 when he helped my congressional race back then. Um, but he, his his platform on gun violence prevention overall uh, is is the most expansive and most impressive in in Democratic uh, uh, presidential history, and I believe in the in the race overall on both sides, because um, it includes so many components. Uh, of the issue to where it would address different aspects uh, of gun violence overall. Um, and when, when Corey uh, had a call with uh, supporters like me and, and fellow gun violence survivors a few days before he launched his uh, overall gun violence prevention policy, um, he asked me a question about what I thought. And I said, Corey, this, this is truly amazing. I'm glad you're doing this, but I need you to promise me that when you go out and talk about this issue, that you all, you're not only talking about the, the high-profile shootings, the ones mm-hmm. that grab the, the headlines. Yeah. You're not just talking about Parkland or, um, or Oak Creek or Aurora or, or Sandy Hook, that you're also talking about gun suicides. There's, statistically speaking, there's more stories like mine than, than the other segments. That doesn't mean the other segments aren't worthy of attention and, and, and conversation. They all are. All those segments yeah. of gun violence are worthy of conversation. And he said, Korea, I assure you that will not happen. Two weeks later, uh, Corey called and said, hey, can you get on the phone with my uh, my policy team? Uh, like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, anything you need from me, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> so they called and said, hey, we, we listened to what you had to say. We wrote a separate plan that specifically addresses gun suicides. Wow. He's the only one that's got that. Yeah. Now, when you talk to some of the other folks, they'll tell you, you know, background checks will help reduce gun suicides. And that is true. But when you have a plan specifically that's going to address the issue, that is fundamentally different and, mm-hmm. and shows that um, he didn't just pay me lip service. He right. didn't just sit there and give me a hug and cry with me and all that stuff. He listened and said, I'm going to uh, make every effort to address it. Here's a policy by which I'm going to do it. Um, that's why I, I love the guy. You know, yeah. he And he's been like this before he ran for president. He's always been the, yeah. like a, a like just a genuinely good human being. Mm-hmm. So the things that you are seeing now on the on the national stage is how he has been. The issues that he's talking about, he has been talking about mm-hmm. these things. And in Newark, he's had friends and neighbors of his that were shot and killed. This is not something that is just like, well, everybody's talking about gun violence, so I have to do it too. It's an, it's impacted his life, yeah. um, and I I am glad that I have someone like that who was willing to share his amazing and broad platform with me to to allow me the opportunity to to to, to share my story, um, so that more and more people see that this this issue of gun violence prevention is larger than what you see on TV. Yeah. Wow, and Corey is awesome. I mean, obviously, I mean, I know I've followed him, um, and. He's I I get from him that he's genuine and I get from oh, yeah. him that he's yeah. like a real he's a real deal. Mm-hmm. What 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 would you say people like just the average voter you know who hasn't been touched by gun violence even though I'm sure there are quite a few people who have but people who you know don't really know what to do what what can people do? Right. So I, the first thing I would say is that all of us have been touched by gun violence in one way or the yeah. other whether you've had a loved one uh, a friend, mm-hmm. someone at your school or within your community, we've all been touched by it somehow. There's mm-hmm. always going to be some story like, hey, I know so-and-so who was shot and killed or was shot and survived. Or you can look at the impact on our health care. Yeah. Um, we all pay more money when we are addressing uh, the, the, the physical toll 
that gun violence inflicts on members of our community. All of us are paying for that. Those emergency room visits, all those things. Mm-hmm. Think about the the first responders and the 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 surgeons and the doctors mm-hmm. and all of those things. The whole community is not immune from this thing. Right. But what I would say to people is, for one, don't wait till it's your turn, mm-hmm. right? Don't wait till it shows up on your doorstep or you get that that horrible phone call and you join that loneliest club. Do not wait. So one thing you can do is to make sure that the the people that you are uh, working with politically have this issue uh, as one of their main issues that they're advocating for. Even I don't need every candidate to be an expert on gun violence prevention. What I do need, though, is for them to listen Mm -hmm. and then say, you know what, I'm willing to take action. Maybe person X isn't the expert, but hey, come with me. Help me make my policy better. How can I figure out a better way to, to serve my constituents to the point where I we, we aren't having a parkland? We're not having uh, uh, gun suicides on an epidemic level like this. What can I do? I mean, those are things that, that voters need to be demanding yeah. of their elected officials and then hold them accountable once they say it. Mm-hmm. I did an interview once in, in 2016, and uh, the guy said, does it bother you that Hillary Clinton – is uh, talking about um, gun violence prevention. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is this just a gimmick for her? And I said, of course not. <laughs> I don't care what her reasons are for yeah. doing it. I care that she is doing right. it. Right. <laughs> because now that she's made the, the the declaration that this is an important issue to her, I get to hold her accountable for it. Yeah. In addition to that, I know I have somebody that I can work with when she wins, and I believe obviously at the time that she was going to win. Yes. Yeah. But the reasoning. To me, is irrelevant, and that's the the, the the cynicism that has crept into our body politic, where mm-hmm. we expect our politicians to be dishonest. I want them yeah. to be honest, which right. is why when you see what happened in 18, all of those amazing human beings and those women and people of color winning, that is what we need more of. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that that voters are, are, are willing to participate and help. Uh, we, we can't just be like, I don't like politics. Yeah. I don't like talking about this. Right. Whether you like it or not, these issues are still important. They're going to impact your life one way or the other. Yeah. And one thing I'll, I always tell young people, I mean, if you choose to vote, you are giving your voice away. Go use it. Yeah. Too many people have fought, bled, and died for our right to vote. I mean, black folks have only been able to vote since the mid-60s. Mm-hmm. White women have been able to vote since 1920. Mm-hmm. We had to fight and die for this. Yeah. Why give it away? Why make it like it's a, uh, you know, a luxury? This is a moral imperative. We must vote. We we have to make sure that people have the access to the ballot. We need to make sure we get rid of gerrymandering and the way that Republicans cheat. Um, I think that is one of the the most surefire ways we can address these issues um, and and allow people the opportunity to to participate in this government of ours because it requires it. Because if we don't, you can see where that gets us. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to take this opportunity just to, to point out that, you know, as you mentioned, people think that um, they either don't vote or they, they, they say politicians are, are negative and corrupt and, and all that. But it's like politicians and elected officials can become more corrupt when they're ignored by the constituents. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, there was a lot of... Um, uh, you know, th- there was that whole argument during the 2016 election where it was status quo versus the revolution. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at it is, I mean, I really, you know, I was at that time and I no longer am a Bernie supporter. 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely 100% backed Hillary, mm-hmm. but I, I, I really liked his vision more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I consider myself very progressive, but I also understand that there are compromises that must be made because, you know, we are all different and we all have different political ideologies. So we can't just expect everything to go our way. But that's kind of what happens is that if you're like all gung ho about candidate X and then candidate X loses, you're like, well, then what's the point? But the point is, is that, as you had said, it's up to us to hold everybody accountable. So it's not like you Mm -hmm. just get one shot at this. You know, we have elections held every single year. And while it's extremely important uh, who runs our country, as we can plainly see right now, um, there's also a lot of people in the Senate and a lot of people in the House of Representatives who, you know, directly affects our lives with the laws that they make. And, Mm -hmm. And then it also goes down to the Senate. The Senate is the one they're the the body that votes on who becomes Supreme Court justices. And, you know, I've pointed on the show many times that when I was young, I did not know this. I wish that Mm -hmm. I would have known. I wish I would have had a better public education in Southern California, but I didn't. I didn't. And so I just did. You know, I think that if I had learned that the Senate votes for, you know, the president nominates and the Senate votes, I think I would have been more interested in getting Mm -hmm. involved because I've always had a big mouth. I've always (laughs) wanted to fight against injustice. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as long as people recognize that it's not just a one vote and it's over, it's it's an ongoing thing. And it's not just voting. It's calling. It's holding those elected uh, officials accountable, even when you like them. You know, because it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know what Hillary Clinton would have done. I'm an advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. She did not Mm -hmm. talk about it on the campaign trail. And I wasn't, you know, I I wondered, is the reason she's not talking about it because she doesn't want to bring attention that's negative to it during the campaign and that she would address it when she did become president? I know Mm -hmm. she's an advocate. So um, unfortunately, we never got to see that. But if she hadn't talked about it, then I would have definitely been, you know, on her. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that it's an attack. It just means that that's what our job is. Our job right. is we hire them, we elect them, right. and then we have to let them know, even though it's not individual, like I can't fire her individually, it's a collective thing. But if we can, and now mm-hmm. that we do have this social media uh, platform, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or whatever, we have we have an opportunity now to really get our voices heard. And mm-hmm. so um, obviously you're using your voice and mm-hmm. you're an inspiration. You're, you're somebody that, I mean, I, I look at you and as I said at the beginning, you know, I mean, sometimes it's tough for me. I, I had a woman named, I don't know if you're familiar with Natalie Weaver. Do you know who she yeah, is? Yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, her I daughter, her, yeah. her daughter just recently passed away right. and was born with yep. a severe facial deformity. And this, her story is amazing and heartbreaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, to have her on my show, uh, another show where I cried, but it's like people like you and people like her are doing so much and social mm-hmm. media has kind of all brought, brought us together. And so right. I just want to take an opportunity to say thank you for what you're doing because you are, you, you're making a difference. And I even, appreciate that. Well, and you are. And even though it's not always easy for me to, I mean, I always support you, but you know, it's sometimes I don't have the words. I don't know right. exactly what to say. So even though I may be quiet, it doesn't mean I, I'm not sitting back at my computer feeling what you're writing. I, I feel I, it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, um, to, to your point though, earlier about, um, you know, what happened in 16, um, I was uh, publicly neutral in the primary. I was because I was a candidate. I needed oh, right. every person in my district to to vote for me, uh, and I had no interest in in causing further rifts that yeah. were already gone too far. 
uh, in the general, I, I clearly enthusiastically uh, supported uh, uh, Hillary Clinton for yeah. president. Uh, she had made my issue of gun violence prevention a, a uh, a major component of her, her mm-hmm. platform. She had taken Lucy McBath and, and Erica Lafferty um, and Maria Hamilton uh, to make the mothers of the movement, took them around and, and campaigned with them and let them tell their stories. And it, that, that mattered to mm-hmm. me. But what I would tell people was if, if Bernie would have been the nominee, I would have worked as hard for him as I would yeah. for Hillary. Cause my job though is, is to work with the person where we align and then push them where we don't. Right. And it, I don't care about your name. Yeah. That's just, that's what my job is. Cause I know every 25 minutes, someone's going to shoot and kill themselves just like my mom did. I don't have the time yeah. to play these, these, these petty games with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing holds true now, but at, at the same time though, we can't get caught up in, in the tribalism part of the primary mm-hmm. and saying it, it's my team and uh, it has to be this way or no way at all, because if if we allow that kind of, of, of thought process to, to kind of play out, we're going to get more of what, we, what we've been getting. Mm-hmm. But we have less of a chance of protecting healthcare. We have less of a chance of protecting our environment. We have less of a chance of reducing gun violence. All of these things that matter to us go out the window mm-hmm. if we don't have one person from our side that gets elected and go out and fight hard for that person and yeah. push them. I mean, you can still push someone and not attack them. Right. Right. Exactly. I don't I don't always I didn't always agree with Barack Obama on, on things. There were there were some things like, yeah, man, homie, I don't agree with you on that. But I'm not going to be like, I am never voting for you again <laughs> yeah. and I'm yeah. never giving money to the DNC. Like, come on. Yeah. Right. I know uh, that that people like Barack Obama and Cory Booker and, and Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and hell, Andrew Yang. Yeah, I know these folks have our best interest at heart. Yes. They have different ways of getting from A to B. Mm-hmm. And I obviously agree with one more than the other, but right. I'm a proud Democrat. But beyond that, I'm a gun violence survivor. I'm a parent. I'm a member of my community. Yeah. And I don't want anybody else to ever have to walk for a second in my shoes. So whatever I got to do, whether I'm, I'm I'm fighting for Corey or somebody else, I prefer to fight for Corey. But beyond that, I'm fighting for people who don't have a voice or who might need help in getting their voice elevated so I can stand beside them and let them shine. That's what I'm trying to do. It has nothing to do with, you know, me being on Team X and you're on Team Y. Now we yeah. got to fight and tear our opponents down. Right. That is that is one of the first things Cory Booker taught me in 16 was that we can go out and campaign vigorously. You don't have to tear your opponent down in the process, though, right? Because once you start doing that, that gives license to other people right. to tear other people down. We want to build people up and, and and elevate voices, not tear them down and stomp on people's dreams. Mm-hmm. I don't want the next person that's going to be our president, whether it's a man or woman, to be spending more time insulting than uplifting, Yeah. right? I mean, how many it, – it's really weird, though, when you put this in context. We've had more Americans insulted by the current occupant of the White House than we had foreign dictators who murder people. Wow. That, that is heartbreaking. It is. That our great country has fallen mm. so far backwards mm-hmm. to the point where all we're doing is insulting each other because the guy that's in the White House does it more than anybody, all while his wife has got a campaign called Be Best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, by what, bullying. What does this start for him? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. There's. It's just. It's just unbelievable. I mean, to not go off in too far of a tangent. I think 
you know, we can we can definitely look at um, toxic right wing radio and oh, Fox yeah, yeah. News. Uh, mm-hmm. Without those two components, I think that we would be a, a country better off. But you know, Absolutely. we're dealing we're dealing with what we've got right now. And again, mm-hmm. people like you uh, are are making a difference. And so right. you know, I'm I'm grateful for you, and and I'm grateful that you that you came on the show. And and part of this was you know I guess a personal thing for me because I I I, I always want to talk to people who are offering something positive but I also like to challenge myself even if I don't always feel comfortable and it's not that you make me uncomfortable it's just that I I always have this awkward feeling I mean I've been fortunate my entire life I guess it's fortunate and you know I haven't had to deal with um, death Mm -hmm. other than my grandparents or my animals and so you know I mean I know that uh, it, it certainly crosses my mind that my parents are aging now and I'm going to have to mm-hmm. go through that. Certainly not in the same way you did. It's, it has, it, it's nothing, it's nothing comparable, but it's just still the idea of death. And so it, mm-hmm. it, it scares me, you know, and it's right. something that just, it freaks me out. It makes me uncomfortable. I always feel awkward. I always feel like whatever I say is wrong. And so I, cha- I like to challenge myself by pushing through it and, right. and talking to people because your story is so important and I just can't even imagine what it must have been like for you as a little boy. And, you know, I just, like, my, my instinct is to want to protect you, you know, and, but then, then I feel awkward. <laughs> so it's just... No, don't, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I mean, having gone through uh, so many years feeling unprotected yeah. and almost like I'm drowning, and when, when people do that for me now, they say things like that to me now, it, it just shows that um, that I'm not alone. Yeah. So, and that's that's a common uh, trait that if you talk to people who are experiencing depression or have attempted suicide, it's that feeling of alone. Yeah. Um, and you know, I talked to uh, someone recently, and they they'll say like, "Hey, you got, you know, ninety some thousand uh, Twitter followers, but yet you'll feel like you're alone." Right. Because sometimes we fail to put things in context, yeah. right? But so when someone actually expresses concern and care for you. I like I I relish those moments. It it means the world to me. Yeah. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by not doing that enough. Right. You're absolutely right. Um that's one of one of the benefits of having a podcast is that I I get to do that and you know whether it's whether I feel awkward about it or I'm excited to do it it's something mm-hmm. that I mean I I recently interviewed Joe Walsh the candidate for president and it was funny because yeah. I didn't endorse him. Um, and I right. did, you know, I didn't want to talk about our political differences because I think I would have gotten really angry. Um, but I'm certainly appreciative of his effort um, mm-hmm. to hurt Trump's chances. It's my personal opinion that, of course, he's not going to win the the sure. you know nomination. But as I pointed out in the interview with him, there have been um, other, you know, incumbent candidates who were primaried by the, you know, by somebody in their party and it, it hurt mm-hmm. and, and, and they lost. And so, you know, even though he, he was like the first person that I ever interviewed who I didn't align with and I wasn't looking mm-hmm. to spread his, his message per se, other than, you know, anti-Trump. Um, usually on my show, I like to talk to people like you, or I like to talk to people <laughs> who are putting something positive out there. And then, you know, it helps me, it helps all of us. And it's just, it's, it's just a positive thing overall and thank god you know i mean in some ways twitter and facebook are absolutely freaking wretched and then you know in other ways they're wonderful because i've gotten to know people like you and i think i met you through steve marmel right um, yeah you know steve, yeah. He, he's yeah. such a great guy and so mm-hmm. uh so it's cool but why you know before we go why don't you uh let everybody know 
where to find you. Sure. But before I do that, I, I do want to say that uh, Joe Walsh and I are going to be talking this week. Oh, you are. Um, we were on a uh, another radio show. Um, he was a segment before me and the, the host had asked me about it. And I said, look, I'm I have some some serious issues with some of the things that yeah. Joe has said, yeah. uh, especially as it rela- uh, relates to race and Barack Obama. Now, he's yes. apologized, but uh, I, I, I do want to know, well, why, did you apologize because you're running or because it was wrong? Right. There, those are two fundamentally, yes. uh, fundamentally different things. But I'm not talking to Joe uh, because I want to take the time to attack him. Mm-hmm. I want to have a conversation. I mean, we, we can't solve these these monumental issues our country and our society is facing by being unwilling to talk to people who may not think like us. Right. I'm not I'm not. In order to have a conversation for me, I'm not requiring the other person to, to concede or to agree with everything. I want someone that has a conversation with me when we don't agree to be able to walk away and say, we had a spirited discussion, mm-hmm. but that's a good dude right there. Yeah. Right. Like we, I wouldn't mind hanging out with Kareem more because I don't, I don't want to tear him down. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm not even sure we're going to make it public. I honestly want to have a, a conversation with a guy that I know I vehemently disagree with, but I know there's some other things we do agree on. Yeah. And how can we find a way to communicate better so that like it, just the spirit of the idea of, of, of talking is more uplifted than it is that we're highlighting our differences. Um, so that's going to be in the next couple of days. We're supposed to talk a week ago, but the week kind of got away from me. And, and, you're, and you're saying that you're not sure if it's going to be public? I'm not sure. So he and I have been texting and I I wasn't sure. Um, I don't want to make, this is not a publicity stunt. Mm -hmm. There's there's no gimmick to it. This is two adults Mm -hmm. who were on opposite sides of a spectrum uh, who want to talk to each other, you know, whether there's some mutual admiration one way or the, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what's going to happen from it. um, But that's something that he and I will will sort out, but I surely don't want to be as a DNC member seen as endorsing oh of course yeah right or anything like that but he is a human being yeah right um who has made some horrendous mistakes and some terrible racist comments yeah that i think one of the ways we can address those issues is by having a conversation well you know when i spoke to him he said that trump made him change the way he politics and also his behavior. And frankly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I reminded him that we have both gone after each other on Twitter. I, mm-hmm. I believe he called me delusional because I had said something like Hillary Clinton uh, is the, you know, one. And he, he apologized. I mean, he, he really went out of his way to apologize. And, you know, I mean, I know that there are people, I've, I was criticized for interviewing him, even though I wasn't endorsing him. Um, and I said that on the show, I said that to him, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it's like, it's like, as you said, I think it's really important that we can, we can put aside some of our differences to come together and maybe mm-hmm. we can meet in the middle. And I guess we're going to find out when he's not running for president anymore. Um, what he's like, right? yeah, what he does, because if he goes, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, I, I have a feeling, I got the feeling that he was genuine. I think that he, you know, he's never going to become a Democrat. He's never going to become a liberal. He is a conservative mm-hmm. liber- libertarian. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that he truly understands, <clears throat> okay, you know, I went too far. I, I can't speak right. to his racism and I didn't even bring that up because I just mm-hmm. figured 
um, for the point. But what I wanted to do was kind of push him to be a little bit more aggressive where Trump was concerned. And the fact that he didn't have policy on his website, I was like, oh, why are you doing this? It's just you just right. it looks like you just want money. And right. so, um, you know, and he was very open and he was very open to everything. So I think that you will, no matter whether you make it public or not, I think you're going to find somebody who's very open and mm-hmm. um, and interested in talking and not turning into a shouting match. You know, right. whether or not he right. disagrees with you, I think that he's going to stay positive. Um, mm-hmm. And and so kudos to you for doing that yeah. because absolutely it doesn't mean it's an, an endorsement. And if and right. if, if, if a, a man of color can go to him and, and, and you know, because I've seen, I've seen Nicole Wallace address it and I've seen, you know, a couple of people on MSNBC address his racism and of course he apologizes for it and of course he, mm-hmm. you know, he says he's changed and all that. But somebody who's, you know, who he insulted directly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, even though you're, you know, he, he insulted Obama, but he, he's, in, he's been so racist. Um, I, I think that's a great, I think that it's great that he's open and I think that it's great that you're talking. So right. again, and not to you. equate, um, these two together, cause they're, they're not the same, but if you listen to, uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, she talked about when she was in the house, uh, in upstate New York, uh, she was an A-rated NRA member. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but when she began to talk to fellow gun violence survivors, that's when her uh, her mindset changed and, and became a staunch advocate for gun violence prevention. In fact, the NRA tried to hit her on wow. some letter she had written, I think, in 2007 about, hey, she was against some things, blah, blah, blah. Our job as advocates is to change hearts and minds. And the only way we do that is by talking. Yes. I'm not saying I'm going to convert him to anything. Right. What I am saying is maybe this is, you know, one one person whose uh, prior venom we can take away mm-hmm. and just get him to, to see the world from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So when even when he disagrees on policy, the way he attacks it is less venomous and less angry. Wow. I mean, I don't have a problem, obviously, with a person being a Republican, conservative, whatever, choose what you want to be. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to be that and then be a jerk about it. Yeah. Like the mean spiritedness that comes from the right is, is I can't accept that because you don't need to do it. No. This conversation had spread from uh, the, the topic I was on the show about was uh, Cand- uh, Candace Owens uh-huh. um, and the stuff that she spews. Yeah. And like you don't need to behave like no. that. Right. You can disagree and think whatever you're going to think, but the the mean-spirited tone you take with it is 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 the thing we need to get rid of, right? We don't need to be spending time talking about how evil the other side is. There are some evil things they do. They do some terrible things. But when we tear another person down, that gives license again mm. to other people to do the same yeah. thing. And that's how our society is going to really fall apart. Mm. I don't I don't want to see that happen. So, I'm not saying, you know, Joe and I are going to you know, hug it out <laughs> yeah. and, and be bros and all this other stuff. Maybe we will, though, right? But yeah. we might. I'm, I'm, I am of the mindset that what, the way that Cory Booker taught me is that you know you need to to, to put kindness and, and decency and, and love into the world and, and and try to make it a better place, one person at a time. And that's literally what I'm trying to do. Wow, that's awesome. Well, let me let me say this before you before I prematurely uh, have you <laughs> go. Is, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, the one thing I want to make sure that people do 
is that we go vote. Make yes. sure you vote in the primary. Make sure that you are registered to vote. Make sure ahead of time. Make yeah. sure you know what your deadlines are. We don't need any more confusion. I want more people to vote than that don't. And then once the primary is over, we need to coalesce together yes. and go fight as hard as we possibly can for he or she, whoever it might be, to become the next president of, the, of this great country. Because I know our side it has better policy mm-hmm. than the other side does. And mm-hmm. I want to see us uh, get to a place where we are we are proud uh, Americans. We are proud of all the things we believe in, but that we look to each other as human beings, mm-hmm. not as uh, opponents or people yeah. we need to tear apart. Hallelujah. Um, and then also uh, check, uh, you know, uh, Sarah Kenzior makes this point, so I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to make it, that, you know, when you're uh, registered to vote on the day, if you're going to go in person, Check mm-hmm. online to make sure you're you're registered correctly. Take a screenshot of it, and mm-hmm. if you get down to the you know to your place where you're going to vote, and it's 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 there's something wrong, you have proof. So right. just be prepared as much as possible. Be prepared. Right. All yeah. right. So where can people find you? So you can go on Twitter and find me at k h a r y p. That's my Twitter handle. Um, I also have a website. It's just uh, kareepennybaker.com. Uh, and those are the two main places that that I'm active. Um, and you'll find that I do a lot with, with politics in general, but more so with gun violence and suicide prevention. Perfect. And I'm going to I'm going to link those in the uh, text of the Patreon description. So be sure to check for that. And thank you, Curry. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you're wonderful. If you were here, I'd give you a great big hug. I will give you one right back. I really sincerely appreciate you having me on. Cool. Well, I, I'd love to hear what happens with you and Joe. You can tell him I said hi. I will definitely do that. <laughs> All right. You take care. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. That was that was a great conversation. You know, I mean, I, I'll admit, as I did on the show, um, it's, it's, sometimes it's difficult for me to deal with people who have gone through such great loss because it, it scares the shit out of me. I mean, I'll just be honest. It doesn't mean that I... Um, that I have any kind of negative feeling, you know, for them. It's just because I always feel like I'm going to say something stupid or I'm going to say something that hurts them. And so I, um, so like my automatic uh, reaction is just to kind of stay quiet. And, you know, I, I just, it's, it's always been something like that. I've always had feelings of awkwardness when it comes to dealing with death and when it's something so um, traumatic as a parent, killing themselves. I just, God, I can't even imagine. And, and what a wonderful man he is. What a wonderful human being. I'm, I'm really glad that he's going to talk to Joe Walsh because I, I am hopeful about him. As Again, I don't expect Joe Walsh to become a liberal or to become a Democrat or anything like that. But, you know, boy, Kareem brought up such a great point that it, it's all about how we handle the issues. If, if we can avoid becoming nasty or being nasty about the issues or about each other, Ugh, it, it, it would just be such a better place. But then, of course, you know, I go on Twitter and um, say that Megan McCain is insufferable because she is because she said that conservative men have better family values. OK, whatever. She's so divisive. Um, I need to be a little bit more curry. I, 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 I am a very sarcastic person for those who have noticed Um but I also, you know, there is there's a side of me that you don't see online because I'm not I don't show it. And I'm an extremely an emotion. I'm an emotional person and I don't spend my life crying or anything. But I certainly 
have good cries. I think it's good to have a good cry. You kind of get all of that angst out of you. And as we're going through this nightmare of uh, Trumpism, it's it it gets to me. And then you know you've got something that's in your own life that's like a personal situation, and add that to whatever Trump is doing or whatever Trumpism is bringing to us and you just crack. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I've definitely had a bunch of good cries during this administration. Um, but, but I'm, I still remain hopeful even though I'm kind of scared and, and, and talking to Curry about the fact that he doesn't think that there's going to be any kind of civil war or revolution. I, you know, and, and neither does Bob Seska, my boyfriend, he doesn't. So that's good. Um, Makes me feel a little better. I, I get worried. You know, I, I, I'm a worrier. I'm a warrior and a warrior. <laughs> um, anyway, that does it for today's show. And once again, please don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. And if you could leave a review, that would be great. And also, please leave comments. What did you think of this show? What did you think of Karee? Um, I love to hear from you. I love getting feedback. I like this whole community that we're creating on um, Patreon. So you can also find me um, on Twitter, author Kimberly, and you can you can visit my um, Amazon page, find out about my books. In fact, I'm kind of thinking that maybe I can do some kind of giveaway with my book Peyton's Choice. I'm not sure, you know, for new listeners, I don't know if any would be anyone would be interested in that, but it's something I'm considering. And so Peyton's Choice is a book about it. It's a, it's a teenager who chooses to have an abortion. It's, it's a young adult book, and it's very loosely based on my life um, as a teenager, which, by the way, I didn't have an abortion, but I, I set the book in Torrance, California, which is where I spent four years of my life, and it's like a little beach town. And I had a group of friends, and I, I, I put that, I, I used that um, as the backdrop in Peyton's Choice. And so I was just wondering if maybe, you know, autographed copies would be an incentive. I don't know. You tell me. All right. So that's going to be it. And we will see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.